Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello Awesomes, and welcome back to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. Don't forget you can find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. Okay, Awesomes, this is episode 219. And as we move into November, I know many of you Awesomes are out there making those lists and checking them twice. So I wanted to remind you that you can support Sorta Awesome in a very real way when you're shopping for gifts, both the nice gifts and the naughty gifts this holiday season. When you shop Amazon through our affiliate link, as you all know, we are Amazon associates. That means we earn a little commission from qualifying purchases on Amazon, including from our Amazon shop that we've been talking about. And it doesn't cost you one extra penny. All you have to do when you're headed to Amazon is just open your browser and go to sortaawesomeshow.com slash Amazon. That's going to take you right to Amazon's homepage. You do all of your shopping as usual. And when you go to check out, Amazon's going to send a few dollars and cents our way. It really is a great way to support Sort of Awesome. And again, all you have to do is go to SortaAwesomeShow.com slash Amazon. Okay, this is episode 219, and I'm joined today by my longtime dear friend and Sort of Awesome co-host, the woman that we absolutely believe is the best public radio producer in the biz right now, Kelly Gordon. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> hey, Meg. Hey, awesome. So happy to be back in your earbuds. I am so glad you are here with me today because we are going to be talking about a topic that I think so many of our awesomes can really relate to, but you know, maybe we've never really had the, like, the words, the vocabulary mm -hmm. to use to talk about it. Maybe some people are going to be listening and they're like, oh my gosh, this is my life and I didn't know it had a label or a thing. You know, we didn't have anyone to talk to about it, or maybe we've quietly been talking to our girlfriends and our sisters or whatever about it through the years, whatever. We're going to be talking about invisible labor, what it is, why and how it robs us of joy and time and energy, and most importantly, how we can seek to be more awesome and how we handle this part of daily life. So we're going to get to all of that here in just a few minutes. Kelly has a ton of, you know, Kelly's here. She brings the wisdom, you guys. So she has a lot <laughs> right. that she's going to... There's just a little bit of pressure now, Meg. <laughs> there is no doubt about that. You are definitely everyone's favorite big sister. But we have such a great conversation and a lot of ground to cover. We're going to get to all of that in just a few minutes. But first, let's do go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. It's that moment in the show where we talk about the books and TV shows, the movies, podcasts, products whatever it is that's making life a little bit more awesome right now. So Kelly, what you got for us? I have a recipe because it just seems fitting, especially as we go into November here. It seems like for much of the U.S., we have really started fall on a cold note. I know there's some exceptions to that in some places of the country, but when I look at the weather maps, as I do, yes. <laughs> there's this big blue blob over so much of the U.S. So we've just all been colder than we have normally, wherever that is on the scale. Yep. So I have a really easy, take it up a notch, soup and sandwich recipe for you. It is the classic tomato soup and a grilled cheese sandwich. Yes. Okay. Oh my goodness. I did not grow up eating this, you guys, because I did not like tomato soup growing up. 
I don't know, maybe my mom didn't either, or maybe she just gave up. We never had this very classic combination, even though we grew up in this really cold weather state where you would think after we come in from sledding, this would be the go-to. So it has not been until I was an adult that I have started to indulge in this. And you guys, I have Martha Stewart's recipe for easy tomato soup. Can you make it out of a can? Absolutely. Trader Joe's has a great box, actually, of tomato soup. But this is so easy, you guys. I would challenge you to make this for your family and see if they don't just rave. All it really is is some butter and some olive oil. It's an onion and some garlic cloves that you don't even have to do anything but just smush, right? It's just like a smushed garlic clove. You're going to just saute that and then put in a can of peeled but whole tomatoes. And you're going to let that simmer. You can throw in a couple of sprigs of basil if you still have basil growing. Mine all turned black a couple oh, weeks no. ago when we finally had her. <laughs> I know. I was sad, too, because I kept meaning. Does everybody who garden relate to this? I kept meaning to go out and grab all the rest of the basil that was kind of going to seed to make pesto. It didn't happen. And then it got cold. Yes. And you're like, well, next year. So if you still have basil or you have one from, again, Trader Joe's growing on your kitchen windowsill, put that in and you let it simmer and then you put it in the blender, you guys. So those garlic cloves and the onions that might be chunks and might even turn off some of your kids who are like, wait, what is this? Uh Yes. You know, I'm always working on my kids with the onions in particular because they're like, I don't like onions. And I say, there is onion in every single thing I make, child. Mm -hmm. You don't know that you like onions. That's your problem. But if you're going to put this through the blender, then they're not going to know. So then you're going to put it back into the pot to let it, you know, simmer a little bit more just to heat back up. And it is fantastic, amazing tomato soup. Really basic. You can put a little bit of olive oil on top, a little bit more, you know, chiffons of basil when you're serving it if you want to make it real pretty. It's sounding so fancy. It is. It isn't. It doesn't have to be fancy, but it can be. (laughs) Then here's the thing. This is my secret and maybe the true awesome of the week to make the best grilled cheese sandwich of your life. Here's the secret. I've just learned it. It's mayonnaise. Yep. I believe it. Have you heard that? Not only have I heard it, I've been doing this for a long time. Yes. Okay. So I mix butter and mayonnaise. Is that what you do? What do you do? Do you just use straight mayo? On the inside, I do. Oh, inside. Yes, straight mayo. And then better on the outside. Okay. I'm talking about on the outside. I don't put anything on the inside. Oh. I mix equal parts of mayonnaise and softened butter. And that goes on the outside of the bread because- What? Yes. I didn't even know you could do that. I feel like that's breaking some kind of rule. I know. I did not know this either. And honestly, I'm not a huge mayo person. Yeah. So when I first heard this, I was major side eye. Like, But the reasoning is that mayonnaise is basically fat. It's going to give you the crispiest, most decadent sandwich on the outside. But you need the butter there for flavor. So it's going to give you a crispier crisp without burning than butter alone can do. Right. And it's not going to add any taste. Because mayo is pretty flat when it comes to flavor. In fact, we will maybe put this in the show notes. I saw an article in the New York Times just in the last week, and they said mayonnaise is the new secret ingredient for so many dishes because you can put, this is what people are doing, putting mayo on their meat okay, before they grill it oh. for the same reason. Because if you put, especially if you can infuse a sauce into mm-hmm. it, mix it with some sort of a flavoring, yeah, yeah. you know, some ancho chilies, right. put it in mayo, spread it on your chicken or your steak. And then either, you know, grill it or sear it. It's going to give you a super crisp sear, nice browning on the outside, but the mayo is going to fade away. You're not going to taste it. You're just going to taste whatever flavor you would infuse there, but it's going to give you that great, great crust that we're all after. I actually have done that. So that's what we're doing. I've done that with mayo and, you know, the chipotle peppers that come in the can with adobo sauce. 
the adobo sauce. And so mm-hmm. you chop down real fine one of those peppers and then you take some of the adobo that comes in and mix it into mayo and you have like a chipotle mayonnaise right? and put it on the outside of meat to, I've never grilled it that way, but yes, to sear it, that it really works really nicely for, like you said, for that right. crust, but it doesn't burn, which is so often the issue when you're working with high heat, of course. Exactly. Especially with butter. Yes. This is so interesting because when you think about it, when you know about the science of food, you're like, oh, well, that, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So I am challenging the awesomes not only to make the soup, but to try this on their sandwich. My kids have lost their minds. Yeah. They are so excited now. It used to be, oh, I like grilled cheese. And now it is, are you making those really good grilled cheese? Oh, that's so great. Because they love it. And it is really good, especially if you get, I oftentimes look for an artisan sourdough sort of bread. Yeah. And then we always are looking to change up your grilled cheese. The recipe that I saw from Martha Stewart had you using one kind of cheese that is sliced. I love like a good pepper jack cheese, Mm -hmm. you know, some sort of a good cheddar, and then also some grated cheese that you can kind of flavor combo with it. And then you can put other things in it. Of course, you could put in pickles, you could put in tomatoes, you could put in bacon. We do a lot of bacon in our grilled cheese. It's so good with the tomato soup. So it's just like taking a really classic meal. That could be really simple, just up one step, taking it from good to great. Yes. That's my awesome of the week for you. It sounds genuinely so great. I do feel like there is some kind of joke in here about mayonnaise and stuff white people do. (laughs) Yes. This is very true. (laughs) White people everywhere. A new use for the mayonnaise that you know you have in your fridge. (laughs) Right. That you know you have. That's so funny. And here's the scary thing is that I don't think the mic just picked it up, but my stomach just started growling. (laughs) This is the problem with doing an awesome of the week and talking about it, right? Yes. (laughs) It's a hard thing sometimes. Totally, totally. So do you have a non-food awesome of the week so that my stomach can settle down? It is. Yes. You can go ahead and calm down. Um, Although I'm going to be daydreaming about that tomato soup and grilled cheese for a long time. That sounds so good. My awesome week is not food, though. It is a nursing top from a company called Latched Mama. Now, I really do try not to talk about baby stuff on Sort of Awesome all the time, even though baby stuff is like 95% of my life right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that you're bringing something. I mean, even for me, who's past that stage, I love hearing about what's new and what people are really finding that they love. Well, this is so, I am even surprising myself with this one, honestly, because in all of the previous times that I've had babies and toddlers, I've never really bought like nursing clothes. Yeah. I've, you know, mostly just relied on that sort of hack where you wear like a nursing cami over your regular shirt and then you can just pull up your regular shirt, undo your cami, you're good to go. I don't know why. I have no explanation for it, except maybe I just want to do things differently now. But my fifth baby, just keep it exciting for myself, really. Gotta be some surprise, right? Yeah. Anyway, I found this company called Latched Mama. I really love this company. They are a woman-owned company. Woman who's a mother herself started the company. She employs a team of women to help her run the company. They make lots of styles of nursing-friendly clothes. I have several pieces from them, actually. A couple of dresses, one of their rompers. And this is the first time I've gotten just a nursing top from them. So again, it's called the Pedal Front Nursing Pullover. And here is what I love about it. First of all, it has the layered front nursing access. So Kelly, I don't know if you know this because it's probably been a minute since you looked at nursing clothes. (laughs) It has been. They have evolved a lot since I started having children 14 years ago. And so some of them will have like this side access. Some of them will have zippers on the side. Like it's the technology has evolved for sure. 
But this is just good old fashioned layered front nursing access where there's like a panel that you can kind of lift up in the front. So you really feel really covered for when you are nursing on the go. Again, with a fifth baby, I find I'm nursing everywhere at all times. So yes, <laughs> I really like that it's very easy to get to. And I feel like I am appropriately covered for nursing in public. The cut of it is really flattering, just the way that it's shaped, especially through the midsection. It's just flowy enough to where you feel like it's, you know, kind to your sensitive areas in the middle, if you are sensitive about that. But it's just cut really well. And guess what? It has pockets. What? Yes. I think that they realized, I think as they were designing it, they realized, okay, so women actually want pockets on everything. Let's put them on this top. Yeah. Too. <laughs> but hey, look, we do. Yes, for sure. It's also tunic length. So you can wear it with jeans. You could wear it with leggings. Honestly, I'm not a big leggings person, but you could wear it over leggings. It's this really great viscose and spandex blend. So it's got mm -hmm. a little bit of give to it. Feels really great. It's machine washable and you can dry it in the dryer, which is awesome too. Yeah, that's so, pretty huge. Yeah. You need to have those things. You can't baby right. clothes that you're dealing with with a baby. You've already got enough laundry to do yep. and enough things to worry about. Yes. So that is a huge selling point. It really is. So I have it in olive. They have a couple of different colors. I think they have it in a sort of heathered charcoal. I think they have it in gray. It only runs about $39. So yeah, that's not bad for a nursing top exactly. because it's everything built in. Yeah, right? it really is. And it sounds cute, yeah. which I think that's the selling point. Back when I was looking at nursing tops, they weren't cute. Right. They were kind of hospital gowny. Yes. And they were very obvious yes. what they were. I do think that with Natalie, who's now 18, so we're really going back a while, I did buy one yeah. and then probably wore it once and said, no, thank you. Yeah. So this is really, what will they think of next sort of revolution? Smart, smart, smart. It really is. So those are our awesomes of the week, you guys. You know, we like to hear from you all what is awesome in your life every single week. We do that on Friday mornings over on Instagram. You can come and find us over there at Sort of Awesome Show. And of course, we always are talking about what's awesome in our life. And especially we're doing that on Friday mornings in our Sort of Awesome Hangout group. If you haven't joined us, we would love to have you over there. I mean, this is the time of year where you want to kind of gather with your community because we got to troubleshoot each other's life problems as we go into the holiday season. If you haven't joined us now is the time to do that on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. All right, Kelly, like I said at the top of the show, this is a topic that I feel like we really need to talk about. It's kind of amazing that we haven't covered it on the show before because it has definitely come up in the Hangout group as people have come across, oh, articles that kind of deal with it, or they maybe have just asked questions, asked for advice, because this is something that I think a lot of us run into. And it's this idea of having, of really feeling like the pain, the pressure, the stress of an added mental and emotional load that we feel and really it can sometimes be hard to identify even on top of the, like we can look at our to-do list. We can open our planner, look at our to-do list and kind of see factually what is ahead of us each day. But then when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, I think most of us are so exhausted because that to-do list, it was like sort of just like the tip of the iceberg, right? There were so many other fires we were putting out and, you know, crises that we were solving all of that. And it kind of can show up and in our culture. We started to define it in a couple of different ways. I know one way that one thing I've heard people use the phrase of is like the second shift. And this especially applies like for women who are working outside of the home 
where they, you know, they have their regular work at their office or their job or whatever. And then they come home and start their second shift where they have an entirely second job that they're doing, which is running their home. I was curious if you can speak to that a little bit as you have recently been working now out of the house situation, if you have felt that or if you guys have your system set up to where it was a smooth transition for you. I think that we have our system set up. And it's helped that when I went back to work almost a year ago now, that my husband was not working at the time or was just doing some consulting at home. So he then took over a lot of the household things until he just got a job back in a few months ago. So, you know, for about 10 months, he did a lot of the household things. So because of that, and because now for the first time since we had kids, we have two working parents. It made for a little bit of an easier transition because it was like we took one way, we flipped it 180, and now we're meeting in the middle. So, for example, I go to work really early, so Corey handles all of the morning stuff, and then I handle the after-school stuff. Now, we'll get into some of this. There are things that I do more of in the evening than he does, but that's by choice. So, we'll talk about some of that, and that's a big difference. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, another way that, you know, kind of talk about this is talking about mental labor, emotional labor. One essay that was written in Facebook post format back in 2017 by a writer named Cameron Reese Pointer really kind of hit on the idea of being the keeper, how in family life, in a partnership, in marriage, or, you know, whatever that looks like, that there's often one of the responsible adults who is the keeper of all of the things, the keeper of the schedule, the keeper of, you know, knowing the social dynamic of what's going on with the friends and all of those things that we are the keeper of it. We're both the depository, like a lot is entrusted to us. And then we're the distributor of many resources for the family. I wanted to read one paragraph of that essay that really stood out to me. She said, because all of these things I keep are invisible, intangible. They go unnoticed and unacknowledged until they are missed. They are not graded or peer-reviewed or ruled on by a court, and sometimes they are taken for granted. And I think that she really hits on this idea that we wanted to cover today is that what we're really talking about here is invisible labor or invisible work. It encompasses a lot of different things. But the things that we're talking about are the things that are not noticed. They're not the things that show up on the to-do list. So we wanted to talk about three, like we're going to be talking about invisible labor as a big umbrella. And there are a couple of different subcategories that we mean when we're talking about, you know, this is some of the invisible work that I do. And Kelly, I wanted to see if you could share some thoughts with us about the mental labor or the mental load part of this. Right. In fact, I bet there's some awesomes, and we can put a link in the show notes, who will remember that back in 2017, when this idea first breached, like the public consciousness, there was a comic called The Mental Load, and it was one of these long sort of infographics. And it exactly identifies what we're talking about when we say mental labor or mental load, which is all the things, the non-physical things that more often than not, the women in a partnership have to keep going to keep their household afloat. So this includes, like you just said, like knowing the birthday parties, knowing the schedule, knowing when the test is this week, knowing who needs to get for doctor's appointments, knowing that, oh, you know what? Look, their jeans all have holes in the knees. We need to go get new ones. Oh, they don't have any gloves for winter. This one is growing out of their pajamas. All the things that we keep balanced in our head 
that are often not on a to-do list until we get there. You know, eventually we might say, well, we need someone to drive somebody to the birthday party or to go get the gift. But we are the ones, the women, often, again, keeping this information mentally stored in our brain and having to parse it out. And in fact, what that comic, The Mental Load, showed so effectively is that men so often don't get it that they will often say in the best of marriages, in the most, you know, egalitarian feminist men say, well, why didn't you ask? I would do it if you just asked. And it's the women, I think it touched Mm -hmm. and unleashed kind of this simmering, almost rage and resentment of women saying, I don't want to have to be the manager of it all. I am now in the role of like you're saying, I'm the employee, honey, just tell me what to do. I need you to figure out too what needs to be done because all of this mental stuff of me keeping track of everything and then having to parse it out is work Yes, and it is exhausting. And the Mm -hmm. reason that I think we're talking about it on Sorta Awesome is that it is a resentment breeder and resentment is a killer of relationships. And so when we started to talk about this as a culture, I think it's a touchstone, an important moment. But we want to not just rant about it and say, oh, my word, hopefully there are awesome. Yes. We're like, yes, I get this. This is something that's real. But we want to say we need to be, have the words to talk about it so that we can try to make it better. But that's just one area. And yeah. I do think it's important because when we talk about these things, lots of times I have seen online, the terms get mishmashed, right? They don't become defined very well. So I think it's helpful for me anyway to say this is all kind of invisible labor. But one area is all of this mental stuff that we're carrying. And then there's emotional labor, which is a little different. It is a little different because this is just what it sounds like. It's the emotional work of being, you know, the kind of, like I said, the person that our family comes to and they sort of like entrust their feelings to us. They want us to help them work through emotional situations, happy things, sad things, stressful things. And I have to say that for me, as a parent, as my children have gotten older, I have felt the weight of this more and more every passing year, just being tuned into the social dynamics and listening to my daughters as both of them have transitioned to new campuses this year, walking with them through the loneliness of not having those friend groups intact like they have had in years past, listening to them as they describe, you know, different dynamics in different classes and really answering some of the questions that they have about, you know, why is this person like this? Now, some kids are going to trust more of that to their parents than others. Maybe I just have two really emotionally available daughters who are in their (laughs) teens. Which is a good thing. It's a good thing. It is. It is a good thing. Even with the twins, though, like even refereeing your kids can feel like emotional labor, if especially if you're more feeling oriented person like I am. And then with our spouses, too. If the spouse is going through a hard time, a dark time, a stressful time, and they are, you know, maybe venting some work stuff to you, there's an amount of labor that goes into listening to, responding to, and being there for your spouse in that. And it can really, at the end of the day, feel like, oh my gosh, if I had, you know, if this was a bucket, like my bucket is overflowing with everything that people have put into it during the day. And one of the other things about emotional labor that I think is really interesting is that it's really not just managing, it's like managing the emotions of other people, right? So I read an article where somebody was trying to describe it to a really well-meaning man in their life who was just like, I don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. 
And they heard somebody say, you'll probably relate to this, Meg, from being a barista at Starbucks, they said, you know, sometimes I would have a normal shift and I would come home exhausted. Why? And it was because I was having to act like I enjoyed every transaction with every person that I, you know, dealt with. And so we all do this to some degree when you get a present for Christmas and you're like, thank you. You know, you're faking it because why? You're managing the emotions of the other person, right? So when a mom is having to be patient with the toddlers, which we do need to do, and it is real work, it is still work that's being done. And oftentimes, and I'll just say this, I don't want to like make this a like less bash men sort of thing, but a lot of wives end up managing the emotions of their husband as if they're a child, because maybe they haven't had the ability, the chance to learn to self-regulate. They look to their wife to like manage that or to manage even like their own mother, like, you know, you deal with it sort of a thing. And so women, because they're like, oh, well, you're relationally inclined or you feel things more than I do. You're mm -hmm. going to be better at this. And that's not necessarily false. And it's not even that women don't want to do any of this. It's just a matter of once again, feeling taken for granted that we are going to do it. And that yeah. that's just yeah. our job. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so right. And that is a huge part of the emotional labor part of invisible work is the managing. I mean, I feel this on a very real level as an Enneagram nine, because I feel like my whole life is an adventure in managing people around me. So because of course, one of the Enneagram nines messages is I'm okay if the people around me are okay. <laughs> so it's sort of like inbuilt in me to do this kind of thing. So I get it. Right. And it's exhausting, yeah, it right? Is. I mean, that might be one of the reasons why your energy feels yes. low is because you actually have so much energy that goes into just that work. That is the problem of the nine for sure. But there's one other part of invisible work that we wanted to talk about, and that's just plain old, just like work work. <laughs> right. And the reason that we're mentioning this awesome is that I have seen some discussions where people will say, yeah, you know, I'm expected to pick up the kids. And then also I do the laundry and I make dinner five nights a week. And psychologists and sociologists have very gently pointed out that's not emotional labor or mental labor. That's labor labor. <laughs> that's just flat out work that you're doing. Now, it might fall under the umbrella of invisible labor because you don't feel like people see that you're doing it. So that's why we wanted to mention it here. But the idea that you're just doing more and feeling like it's not noticed and no one appreciates it or even cares that you're always picking up the slack is actual labor. It can be just actual labor. But even if you are not doing more, even if you could say, you know, like my husband and I, or my partner and I, we write down all the things that we're doing and we have a pretty even split, but I still feel more exhausted. Why? That's that emotional and mental piece of this thing. Absolutely. That is so true. And I think that again, just, I keep coming back to this idea. And maybe this is because this is how it shows up so much for me in life is I will look at my to-do list and think like, okay, this feels manageable. And then, you know, I get to noon and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted. And there's still so much left because I even noticed this morning as I was kind of prepping for this show and getting my laptop together, I was walking around the house looking for my earbuds and taking care of Nico. But just like, you know, seeing, oh gosh, I didn't get this permission slip turned in or a warning light came on on my dashboard this morning, you know, like all of these things that pop up that again, feel like the constancy of fires that need to be put out in some ways. So 
one thing that I wanted to talk about, because again, we don't want to come into this episode to just gripe about it. You know, I listened over the weekend as I was doing some research for this to a Dear Sugars podcast episode. I know a lot of the Austins love them. And they did one on invisible labor. And I thought the thing that was so good about this episode, they had a therapist, I think, that was on to kind of talk about it because they had received countless letters addressing this idea. And the therapist said, you know what is not productive, though, is looking at your partner and saying, you have no idea what I do and you don't appreciate it. Like people feel defensive then and a lot of men don't react well. Even the most like wanting to be feminist husbands sometimes are just like, I don't get it. It is more about saying, look, we both are culturally conditioned to do this sort of work. I feel like we have both fallen into a trap and it is creating resentment in me. And so I feel like we need to be able to talk about it and address it and say, what can we do together to break out of this trap? And that involves a lot of things, right? Because it means that you're going to have to, A, figure out what's done. And then I think this is a big one is that you really do need to come together and say, what are our values? What are our standards together that we can agree on? What needs to get done? What maybe doesn't need to get done? What is at a standard that this is my standard, but your partner's like, I just don't care about it as much. So you do have to have some really nitty gritty, honest communication. And at a time when no one is going to be defensive and angry, and it has to be one of those productive, you know, you're rested, you've eaten all the good things, all those boxes are checked so that you can listen to each other and really figure out. You know, Meg, I was thinking about how practical this is right now yes. in November, because the show that you did just last week, talking about how overwhelmed so many women feel approaching mm -hmm. the holidays yet again. And I think if right now you're thinking, I do, I feel the stress of the holidays. When you say holidays, Kelly, I start to breathe yeah. a little faster and my chest is like, oh, the weight of it all. Stop and think, what do you do for the holidays? Like maybe write it out. What are the things that you are in charge of Yes, that are extra work because of the holiday season? And then maybe, so you could break it down. You could think about it in terms of emotional labor. Is it like you do feel responsible for making everybody happy? Or do you feel responsible for getting gifts for your in-laws because you know your husband won't put thought into it? So then you're trying to manage that emotion. Yes, a lot of it yeah. is mental, right? Just the calendar and keeping track of it all. Or it might just be physical labor. Like you're the one who shops, you're the one who decorates, you're the one who makes the cookies, whatever it might be. So making a list and then going to your partner and saying, can we just yeah. talk about some of this? Maybe this isn't the year to say, we're going to redo the holidays. Right. But are there two things, maybe two areas where you could say, I would love it if you could do this. And maybe your partner could say, I could do that. Like that wouldn't stress yeah. me out. Or maybe there's something that you really enjoy doing. So you're like, I know that, you know, making the Christmas dinner is a lot of work, but I really like it. So I don't yeah. really want to give it up. But if you could take over, you know, the Christmas Eve gift exchange that we do with the white elephants with our friends, coordinating that all of it, that would be huge. Yes. So it's a matter of trying to get on the same page with your partner and your spouse. And I did hear on the Dear Sugars episode too, they said, you know, this is largely mm. gendered, even in the most marriages where it, they try not to make things gendered. This is just the soup that we swim in. So if you're in a relationship that is not gendered, you know, it's LGBTQ, even there, people say that they notice these stereotypes come out. It's just maybe that they're a little quicker to confront them. So it's a matter of those of us who are swimming in this soup of, you know, heteronormative right. relationships, 
it's so easy to fall back on this, especially because you guys, yeah. culture is changing really fast. So if you have a spouse or a partner who grew up one way, they only saw one thing modeled, it's really just easy, especially mm-hmm. once kids come along, to fall back into patterns. So I think that's the biggest thing is just finding a way to talk about it. That is so interesting. And I would be curious, all of our reading that we did, you know, even was explicit to saying we're talking about heterosexual couples and the gender dynamic here, I think would be very interesting to hear from same gender couples. Like if there is a person who feels the weight of taking on the invisible labor, but I think you're so right. Same gender couples maybe already have, um, you know, just culturally a lot on their plate and have to have better communication. Maybe I am just conjecturing here, but maybe it comes up more quickly. Whereas for many of us in heterosexual couples, then we are just kind of maybe repeating what we've seen done in our families of origin, what's reinforced culturally. And I think it's so important to be able to say, both of us are responsible for falling into this dynamic. One of the articles we're going to link to in the show notes is actual advice from therapists to talk to couples about this, both the person who's doing a lot of the you know invisible labor and then the partner and the couple who isn't. But one thing that those of us who feel like we're doing a lot of the invisible labor need to do is to not just put it all on to the other partner. Like, it's your fault that I have all of this that I'm struggling with. Both partners have shown up in a way and kind of created a dynamic where this happens. And so it's really, it is the work of both partners to figure out, like, how are we going to at least create a dynamic that is more, how can I say this? that is agreed upon. Like you said, to think about like, what are the big things? Like what is important to us as a family? What's important to each of us as the partner? You know, when we're talking about the emotional labor part of invisible work, this is a really big deal for me because like, I want to be that person in a lot of ways for our kids. And then I have a really hard time trusting and believing that if I let Kyle step in and do some of that, that he's going to tell them what I would tell (laughs) Yep. You know, and I'm just honest. Yeah. I have to own my control issues in a lot of ways in this. So, one thing that has been hugely helpful for us is I realized, as I, especially as I was preparing for this show, and this is something that actually has kind of been on my mind really since school started back this school year. This is what really led to Kyle and I starting to do our operations meetings, is I realized that for a lot of these things, I feel more comfortable and really have a desire to do a lot of these things, but I just want to be acknowledged for it. I want to be able to say like, this is okay. Look at this whole list. These are all of the things that to keep our family running and to keep our businesses running that I will be accomplishing this week. And to just have that, because I think especially outside of an office situation, outside of a formal work situation, there isn't any feedback or recognition or any of those things. So for us to be able to have these operations meetings where we sit down and it's really clear who's doing what when, just to be able to hear like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. And, you know, the conversations that come from there has been a huge game changer for me. And it's not necessarily that, like you said, we didn't have to like blow the whole thing up and start over from the beginning. Although maybe in some dynamics, that's what needs to happen. It's just been more like, I know what I need to not let the resentment build in this situation is I need just the acknowledgement that there's a lot going on here. Right. 
I think back to what Laura Tremaine, our friend, says that you teach people how to treat you. And so I think probably now that we're naming this, it's smart to every few years to sit down and have yes. a reevaluation because life changes and we fall into patterns and it's never static. So a re-meeting of saying, where are our priorities right now? What are the things that we feel like maybe we could drop or that we need to pick up because of where we are? Where do we need to put our focus right now? And again, we want it to be teamwork, yes. right? So saying, I have probably unintentionally been taking on things and now I'm resentful. If we can find a way to say it that is not an attack, but that we want to be on the same team and we want to be able to handle this mm -hmm. family life together. And I do think for so many women, it's exactly what you just said. Being acknowledged and being thanked is half of the battle. It, it's not that we don't want to do a lot of these things. It's just that we feel like nobody cares or people don't appreciate the work that we're putting into it. Yes. And the constant, the constant work, right? As I was doing my research, I actually went and talked to Corey last night. I pulled him out of his office and I said, here's what we're talking about. Not sure if you've heard the term, but it's this. And as I look back over our 25 plus years together, one of the things that he has always been really good about is acknowledging the work that I've done. Mm -hmm. So especially since we've had kids. So I said, you know, once Natalie was born and I became a stay-at-home mom, which that dynamic right there does yeah. shift some of this stuff, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. the norm anymore. The norm is to have two full-time working parents, but I was staying at home. And so that made our roles and a lot of what we did fall along pretty traditional gender lines, even though that wasn't because we believed it was because those genders needed to fulfill those roles, if that makes sense, right? Right. It was right. just what we yeah. both valued. We both wanted to have a parent at home. I wanted to be at home. Like, it was fine. But he has always appreciated it. And so even as we've gotten into a different stage of parenting, and for sure me going back to work, he's always been thankful for the things that I'm doing. So then I don't feel so resentful about the things. And it also makes it easier for me when I do get resentful to identify what is yes. making me so cranky here <laughs> and to go to him. And so he's really good about either taking it on mm -hmm. or helping me reevaluate my goals. Because I think for me and maybe for other women, I've certainly seen this dynamic play out more than once. We yes. want everything. <laughs> I want him to care as much as I do yeah. about everything that I care about and to be just yes. like me. Yes, exactly. Right. That's kind of an unspoken. So as he and I were discussing last night, he was saying one of his frustrations with this concept in our society is that some women might be saying is, I want you to be just like me. Like when I was talking to him about the idea that women feel mm -hmm. like we're managers and when our husbands say, well, if you just ask that it's like, then you're in an employee role and we want you also to have ownership, to be able to look into a room and say, oh, there are dirty dishes on the counter or the dishwasher needs to be unloaded or look at all that laundry. And not for us to have to say, could you take you know, the garbage out? And he's like, yeah, but the things that you notice are not the things that I would necessarily notice. And of course, there's a baseline. And so we did get through that where I was like, look, dude, some guys don't notice things <laughs> like he does. So that's been nice. We are so opposite in so many ways, Meg. And I was renewed last night. Like this is one area where we're kind of the same. We both do notice things. We both have high work ethic and we're both kind of neat nicks. So all of these things I've taken for granted because we have them in common. That's been a good starting line. But if you don't have that, you do have to train somebody to say, what is the baseline for a room that you walk in? Just like yeah. we would train our kids 
like when they're learning to clean something, you would say, look, here's the baseline of clean for me is that there is no more urine on the toilet, like around the toilet, anywhere on the toilet, not just like, well, there wasn't any that I could see, like all the way. Right. And so maybe we have to go back and say, like, let's get on the same page. And maybe that means we also have to lower our standards. If they say, I am willing to take over cleanup from dinner every night. That means that you don't get to say, well, here's how you have to load the dishwasher and here's how it has to be done. And you do get to say, you can't put my cast iron skillet in the dishwasher, which I did find a few weeks ago and I was utterly horrified. So Corey was like, so you're now going to micromanage the dishwasher. And I'm like, no, no, no. But if you put that in there, that's like grounds for divorce. And so I was trying to save our marriage. (laughs) I think it's okay to teach, you know, as long as you're doing it to be like, okay, you haven't done this before, but just so you know. You can't put the red socks in with the white laundry, you know, like that sort of stuff. Yeah. But you do have to let go of your standards. And so I think I do see some of the frustration with this is that I think too many of us, and I put myself in this group, we want to have somebody else do the work exactly like we would do it and to hear in all the exact same ways and to say and respond how we would. And that's just not real life. So we also just have to get over that a little bit. It's true. I feel like sometimes when I'm really honest with myself, that what I really want is a clone of myself. I want two of me to get all of the work done, but I want it to be done exactly the way I think it needs to be done. I want the exact response to the kids, you know, emotional issues to be exactly what I would do. And so I've had to get really honest with myself that I have control issues, that there are areas where I don't trust Kyle to be, you know, like to be a good dad. He's never, ever given me reason to not trust him. But there's something in me that's like, if he doesn't say it this way, then, you know, this child is going to think this and it's going to basically ruin her life. (laughs) And so I've had to be really honest about that. Another thing I've had to be really honest about is shifting my mindset to say, you know, if I feel this exhausted and it's this much work all the time, maybe, maybe there's a better way to do these things. (laughs) That's really hard. But one thing that my husband is very good at is efficiency. He's an Enneagram 5 INTJ. He is built on efficiency. So another part of our operations meetings has been like just being like, I don't know how to get all of this done or how am I even going to do this day when this kid needs to be here? Now, sometimes, again, we have the flexibility because he works from home. There are times when he'll look at that and be like, well, I actually can go get her and take her there and those types of things. But other times... I just need to come to the table and just be like, I need help here to figure out how to make this work better. One huge thing is when he looks at my list and he's like, okay, get all this laundry done. Why are you doing the laundry? We have two teenagers who know how to do laundry. So I need that reminder of like, okay, it's inefficient. It's not a good use of my time, even though I like to do laundry. (laughs) It's not a good use of my time to be the one keeping up with the laundry all the time. We have people who are in our home who need to learn how to do these things so they can go be fully formed humans who can run their own homes someday. So that's a big part of it. But just kind of coming to the table, and I have to tell you, Kelly, when we first started doing this, I would come to the table with like, I need help with this. Here's how I was thinking I should do it. Well, you know what, then I've already done the mental labor of trying to figure it out. But it's like engaging his superpower. And I can acknowledge that he does have this efficiency superpower that I don't have. And so he can come in and be like, well, if you just blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I actually really needed to hear that. So for me, a big mindset shift has been not only just like letting go of some standards in some areas, 
but being willing to say, I may not be doing this the best way. And then like you were saying at the beginning of the show too, like there are some things like, I want to hear more of what you wanted to say about the work you do in the evenings that Corey doesn't necessarily have on his plate in the mornings that you do and you continue to do because you want to do it. Right. And part of that is just our dynamic because he does work a full-time job and he does make more money than I do. So this is just practical and how we've come to it. And I'm not saying it's the right way for everybody, but because he makes more money, we have prioritized his job. His job is the bulk of our income in paying our bills. So we do need his job to come before my job. However, he's always been super supportive and has been, especially these last 10 months, in me getting back into the workforce and feeling supported there as well. So we're always having to kind of readjust. I really like a lot of the things that go into homemaking, which again, I've said many times the show, disclaimer, the biggest surprise to me of my life that I love all this stuff, but I really, really do. So like dinner is not a chore to me. Cooking is my downtime. So I do not mind making dinner. In fact, just recently, I started to say to my teenagers, do you guys want to make some dinners just to kind of practice your skills? Now, they don't really care because they don't have to, right? But at the same time, I do that sort of thing. I'm also, because I'm home with the kids as they're getting home from school, I'm handling homework. But we certainly tag team when it comes to the emotional and mental labor of that. We have learned, like you're just saying with you and Kyle, to play to each other's strengths. So the kids will communicate more with me, but he is really good at helping keep them on task where too often I am like, well, we can stay up late or we can do that tomorrow. And he's more, I don't want to say the bad guy because I'm more than happy to back him up and he's more than happy to bend sometime when I push him. But that's just his skill set, right? He's good at some of those like boom, boom, boom. Here's where we go. Even at helping kids figure things out. And the really cool thing is that for me in the last 10 months, watching him step more and more into that role as I literally haven't been there to do it. So I think one of the tips that a therapist gave in that article that you were referencing was just to stop doing everything and let some things fall and see what happens because that's how other people pick them up, which in many ways is what we've been saying already. But I think that sometimes we just have to back away. Yeah. And say, what if you just did it? Mm -hmm. You know, what if you and your spouse talked about Christmas gifts, mm -hmm. maybe even just for his side of the family, and you said, this is not my thing. I don't enjoy it. It's become work. I'm still willing to do the kids. Can you take this on? And that yeah. means he takes it all on. And that also means then that if he doesn't buy a gift or he's at, you know, the quick trip on Christmas Eve buying mouthwash and, you know, lottery cards for his mom. That you're like, it's okay. And even if, because I've had to deal with this a little bit, even if that's not directly communicated, don't you want to then be like the Christmas at the gift opening be like, that's a weird <laughs> gift, Daryl. You know, like, it's not my fault. Please notice that it's not my fault. But also yeah. just like, let it be. Let it be. And let them take ownership. Because they may not care. They may not feel the same. Like, we have to be able to disengage. And some of that just means that we stop doing what we're doing now. And that's hard. I think that's hard for a lot of us. But it is about that like emotional boundary that this is the way that we get healthier and happier and more equitable in our relationships. And the big thing is what our kids are seeing. Yes. Yeah. Because for so many of us, in fact, it was kind of a sad letter that went into Dear Sugars where a woman said, I have tried and tried and tried to talk to my husband about this and he doesn't get it and he doesn't step up. And so I've given up I'm just going to try to train my daughter to not let this happen to her. 
And they were like, oh, but she's going to see what you're doing. Right. And she's going to see what your husband does. And all of these lessons yeah. are kind of implicit. So it is important. It's worth the mistakes, the screw-ups, the frustrations to it try is. to make it better. And so one last thing that I wanted to talk about really is what life can look like if we have the courage and are able to summon the energy to communicate with our partners about this issue. And again, you know, like a couple of the articles that I read in research for this episode, a couple of different people pointed out the fact that sometimes it's even hard to engage this conversation because we're just so tired already. And it takes so much energy, really mental and emotional energy to sit down and think about what am I feeling resentful about? How does this all pile up? So I think you are exactly right, Kelly. I think this is the time, especially as we're heading into holidays, because on top of all of the regular invisible work we're doing, we have a little bit more to get through the holiday season. I think this is a great time to really try to get clear on some things that apply either to regular daily life or maybe even just start with the holiday season. And then in January, as you're cleaning your house, kind of like, okay, I'm going to clean up this part of my life too. What works for me and what I would suggest if you are having a hard time knowing where to start and getting kind of getting motivated to have this conversation is to really think about what would my life look like if I did not have this simmering resentment that was constantly building, if I didn't have this perpetual exhaustion? Like, would I be free to do? Might I pick up a new hobby? Might I, you know, do something for me, something that is fulfilling for me if I'm not constantly managing all of this invisible work in my life, kind of getting that almost like a vision of it to kind of, right. It's like a goal, right? A goal. Just to inspire yes. you, to encourage you to yeah. get over that hump. Like so many things I've often said, this goes way back to toddlers, but potty training is so exhausting. You have to prepare yourself, even though like you have to have that vision of like, this is what it's going to look like when I yes. don't have to change diapers anymore. And then get to a point where you have enough energy to yeah. charge up that hill, knowing that the other side is going to be worth it, but knowing that the initial is going to take even more energy than you're putting out now. Yes, it's so true. It really is so true. And so, you know, kind of having that vision or that goal in mind. And then as you're envisioning it, you know, be realistic about what that vision looks like. You may envision sitting down at the end of the day with a good book and you have finally created time for yourself to read. Maybe that's something you want to do after you get rid of some of this stuff that's taking up all of this mental real estate for you. And you're sitting down with a good book and you know what? The house isn't picked up perfectly or the dishwasher did not get loaded the right way or there's laundry that needs to be folded or whatever. But that's part of your vision is that you have let go of some things. And I just used some really, you know, practical around the house chores, but anything on the list that you're like, either I'm going to trust someone else to do this or I'm just going to have to say this part isn't going to get done maybe at all or the way I think it should be done. But the trade-off is that I can sit down at the end of the day and not feel taken advantage of, not feel like a doormat, not feel like I have nothing left to nurture my own self at the end of the day. So it's messy and complicated work. And it's a lot of it is kind of working through some mindset shifts for ourselves. Some of it is confronting some issues with our partner that maybe are longstanding issues and that can be messy and complicated. And some of it, you know what, some of it we can do on our own. Some of us maybe need to take it to a counseling office. And yeah, I was going to say some of this could really benefit from therapy because yeah. there's some deep seated stuff yeah. here, potentially. Exactly. 
Exactly. So what ultimately we're saying is, if you're resonating with what we are saying here, if this is resonating with you, you're not alone. There is a total technical word for it. (laughs) And you don't have to stay trapped in this dynamic. It is not just your lot in life. Or if there are parts of it that you're just like, I'm just not willing to let this go. We are encouraging you to just own that, to just, you know, be able to say, this is so important to me. This is such a big deal for me that regardless of if it makes me feel exhausted or whatever, I am owning the fact that I want this thing to look like this in my life. And hopefully, again, that mindset shift can help you move past and work through any resentment that has built up over it. So, Right. And become more awesome yes. in your life, in the lives of your children, in the lives of your spouse. Because as we said, resentment is just such a killer for relationships yes. that it's just no way to live. Right. I think it's the antithesis of the sort of awesome way. Yeah. We really could have just saved a lot of words and just said that, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but we like to unpack things. That's what we're all about here. Everybody who's, I love that. I know we see it in the hangout all the time, but the poster of the girls like eating yes. ice cream and talking and there's somebody <laughs> sitting next to them and eating ice cream. Awesome. So we do think about that all the time yes. in such a loving way. This is what we do. We just had coffee together. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, Kelly, I have a feeling that there's going to be people who want to have some follow-up conversation about this. Mm, I hope so, so. I hope so too. I really do. Remind everybody where we can find you all around the web. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kelly Gordon MN from Minnesota. Or, of course, in the Hangout group or the Superstars group on Facebook. Okay. You can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. You guys, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. 